amen. I just want to welcome you again here this morning to New Day Church. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is James Yandel, and I'm one of the staff pastors uh, here at this church, and I'd love to be able to talk with you. Uh, even after service, I'll be back here by the welcome station. Just come say hi to me. I'd love to meet you, uh, hear your story, and try to uh, help you get connected into the life of uh, this church. Uh, but like Halsey was saying, we're a family here, and uh, we want you to know that you, you're not in it alone. Um, that we all have struggles, none of us are perfect, and yet we want to be a community in which we are helping each other uh, find our new day in Jesus' name. And so I'm just so glad that you've chosen to worship the Lord alongside of us this morning. Uh, We're in the middle of a series, or actually culminating toward the end of a series called Foundations, in which we've been looking at what are some of the foundational beliefs of Christianity that's united us for thousands of years under the teachings of Jesus. And so we've been looking at a lot of the the core teachings of the faith, things like the scripture, things like the church and the gospel. And I'm excited to, to finalize the series here this morning. But I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine with me that you are a prisoner of war away for a really long time. We're going to start really morbid in here this morning. So you're a prisoner of war, and uh, you're kind of in uh, this place as a prisoner of war for a really long time, and you get rescued. You get rescued, and you get brought back to your home country after being away for a really long time. Not only that, but your government, kind of the authority over your home country, also gives you a written notice, a written promise that everything for the rest of your life is going to be taken care of, right? Everything's going to be taken care of. You have it written down. It is a promise signed and sealed by the authority. Yeah, you're going to need money, but you're not going to really worry about that because ultimately someone else is providing for you. And imagine you're not alone in this, right? You come back home and you join a family, family that supports one another and and looks after one another and has each other's backs. Imagine in this world was presided over by God. And this God is so unprejudiced, so unbiased, so loving, that he's not content with just a small clique of followers that look exactly like each other, but instead... This God is so loving that he actually commands every person who comes into his family to be about inviting other people into the family. How would you live if this is your reality? We just sang about the reckless love of God and what God has done for us, kicking down doors, climbing up mountains, shining into the dark places of life to bring us into relationship with himself. He's freed us from worrying about anything else in life. You don't have to worry about anything, money, jobs, nothing. He says, I will take care of you. Yeah, life is a struggle, but I'm with you. I'm taking care of you. And your eternity is set. Entitled the sermon this morning, Great Commission, God Sins. And the Great Commission is simply kind of a a Christian phrase, uh, phrase within the church that simply means that the mission of the church is inviting more people to become God's people. That's the mission of the church. It's very simple. Invite more people to become God's people. 
And sharing Jesus with others, being public about your faith, sharing the gospel has been a part of the historical church for thousands of years. It's been a bedrock, a cornerstone of the church. And the passage we're going to read, I'm sure you've heard before because it truly is a foundational passage in the church. The Great Commission begs the question, what if Jesus' followers pursued others with the same love and patience with which they were pursued by God. I'll make that a little bit more personal. What if you and I pursued other people with the same love and patience with which God pursued each of us? That's the question that the Great Commission asks, and that's what I want to go over here this morning. I'd love for you to meet me in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Uh, Like I said, I'm sure you've heard this passage before. You may be familiar uh, with the passage before, but what I like to say about passages like these, it doesn't matter if we've heard it a thousand times, it doesn't make it any less true or powerful or relevant in our lives. And so open up with me to Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, it should be on the screen behind me. It says, And Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So a little bit of context. Remember, Jesus has gone to the cross. The disciples are hopeless because this Rabbi, this teacher that they've been walking with for years is dead. Then he comes back, rises from the dead, resurrected Christ, and he calls his disciples to him, and he gives them this message, this command to go make disciples. Risen Christ, this is what I want to leave you with. This is central to what it's going to mean to follow me. This morning, I want to challenge us in something that, if we're honest, we all struggle with. We all struggle with being open about being followers of Jesus. And we could just own that. I'm going to own that this morning, and I hope that you own that this morning. It is difficult to be open about following Jesus, to have conversations with friends that we know aren't followers of Jesus, and that we know are going to have maybe questions we can't answer. Or maybe they got something that they don't like about Christianity. And so we all struggle with this. And so I just want to admit that this morning and just say, man, there's a lot of grace in this. And secondly, I want to say, and this is the scandalous part about Christianity, and even if you don't do anything that I talk about here this morning, God is not going to love you any less. And I kind of wish, this is in my flesh, I kind of wish I could say, do this or else. I can't say that. You're totally loved, totally forgiven. God uh, loves you as much as he ever will, no matter what you do in response to a sermon. So I can't use that as a motivator to help us go out and share our faith, even though I, in my flesh, wish I could, but it's just not the case. All that I can appeal to this morning is the love of God for us and for other people. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to go over just some myths 
uh, that I think that we believe as Christians when it comes to sharing our faith. And I really hope that this morning is one that helps you and one that puts a little fire under you to, to be more open about being a follower of Jesus. So we're going to be looking at some of these myths. And so myth number one is because faith is personal, it should be private. Heard this before? Man, faith, it's personal, so it should be private. And that's kind of the cultural narrative of our day, right? Religion should be something that's reserved for the house, and we shouldn't take that into the public sphere at all, right? Religion or your faith or what's most important to you should be held in your home and nowhere else. And maybe you believe that this morning. And no offense if you do, because sometimes I feel this way. That's totally absurd. Totally absurd. Culture talks about what's most important to it all the time. No one ever goes around and says, oh, you shouldn't talk about rising up in your career in public. That's, that's a private thing. No one says, oh, no, you shouldn't talk about money or success or fame. You shouldn't talk about that. That's a private thing. It just so happens that Christians have something else that's most important to them. Our faith is personal, and the very fact that it is personal is what means we should share it. It's a testimony that the faith works. It changed my life, so I want to share it with other people. I was reading this article the other day, and uh, it's from a, a research group called the Barna Group. And, and if you've ever heard like, any pastors give any statistics, typically they're coming from uh, this kind of like Christian-based uh, research group that does a lot of polls and different things like that. And I was reading this article on evangelism and on sharing the gospel, and I found a statistic that I found to be very surprising, and I want to share it with you this morning. So in the article, it said that 47% Statistically, half of all millennial Christians say it is morally wrong to evangelize or to share the gospel. Half of millennial Christians say it's morally wrong to share the gospel. And I wish I had a little bit more context. The article didn't really talk about why they felt that that, that was the case. Maybe it's because we've lived in a time where maybe people share the gospel in a really aggressive way, a really bad way, or, or, or I don't know, maybe they're reacting to that, but it didn't give any context. But that's the statistic. It's morally wrong to share the gospel. Sometimes I feel like culture gets into the church and gets into our own minds and our own lives without us even realizing it. And before we know it, we're being shaped by something outside of Jesus and outside of the Bible. And this may be evidence to that fact. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in every sphere of life, public, private, marriage, culture, everything. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's how Jesus prefaces the command to go make disciples, to be open and public about our faith. So the myth is that because my faith is personal, it should be private. But the truth is that making disciples is an essential part of being a follower 
of Jesus. In fact, there are other passages that talk about this. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Luke chapter 24 says that Jesus, uh, he says that, the, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to him, of him in, to all nations. John chapter 20 says, um, Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And of course, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and beyond. Here's another stat for you, another truth that I found from the Barna Group research. Most non-Christians, they did a poll of non-Christians, and they found that most non-Christians have a very low view of Christianity. Very, very low view of Christianity. I mean, it's bad. It's real bad. They think Christianity is hyper-political. They think Christianity is corrupt because they see Christian leaders kind of having moral failures and different things like that. You've got scandals uh, of different people in the church who steal and all that kind of stuff. And so non-Christians have a very low view of Christianity. But they pulled those same people who did not profess to be Christians, and they found that they actually had a very high view of the Christians that they personally knew. So Christians are going around thinking, okay, someone else is sharing the gospel. Someone else is getting it out there. The pastors are doing, the Christian leaders are doing, social media has that covered. Whereas the non-Christians are out there looking at those things saying, that ain't working for me. But if I knew someone personally who would share with me and who would talk with me about it, I'd be more open to it. So what I mean to say this morning is there is no one better equipped to represent Jesus to the people you know than you. I'm not better equipped. I don't know your friends. I don't know your coworkers. I don't know your family. You're the person who's most equipped to do this. You know, there's this, this other myth that kind of pervades Christianity sometimes where it, it, we feel like, man, I, I, to, 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 to me, maturity is learning more or, or it's knowing more about the Bible, or it's being able to, to do all these different things. But what we like to say is, in order to go deep in the Christian faith, you have to go wide. That Jesus says true spiritual maturity is going wide and teaching others about the faith. And so as we mature as Christians, it means not that we go inward in ourselves, but it means we move outward toward other people in love. Myth number two. If I share my faith, everyone will reject me. We kind of have that fear, right? 
If I share my faith, everyone will reject me. I don't want to be the pariah. I don't want to be ostracized in my office. I don't want to be the weird guy in my office, if we're honest, right? And yet what Pastor John talked about last week is that Christians do it best when we stand out, not when we fit in. Christians shine when they stand out and when they truly are different, because in many ways, different is good. Different is good, right? We talked about how normal is broken, normal is stressed, normal is divorced, but, but to be abnormal, to be different under the ways of Jesus is very empowering and very hopeful to the people around us. I think we have almost a too bleak of a worldview. Look at verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I love this for two reasons. Number one, Jesus says, make disciples. Jesus does not command the impossible. He doesn't command the impossible. Now, it's impossible for us, but it's not impossible for him. So Jesus says, make disciples. And so in Jesus' mind, Jesus believes that making disciples is possible. And in fact, he believes it so much that he says, baptize them. People are going to believe. And when people believe, this is what you do. So Jesus believes in this so much that he says, go and do it. So the myth is, if I share my faith, everyone will reject me. But the truth is, if I share my faith, some people will be interested and some people won't. Can we just own up to that? Some people will be interested and some people won't. Yes, not everyone is going to like you. But let me give you a hint. Not everyone likes you right now. Sorry to break that bubble for you this morning. Not everyone likes you right now. In fact, uh, excuse me, rejection is a part of life. Jesus experienced and expected rejection. We should experience and expect rejection. Even outside of the gospel, outside of Christianity, we all mature adults know that rejection happens in life. You've applied for a job, you didn't get it, it didn't kill you, right? You asked someone out on a date, you got rejected, it didn't kill you, though it almost felt like it, right? But we all experience that, and we have to experience that and expect that even more so in Christianity. I've never talked with someone about Jesus and have them hate me afterward. Usually it's the way we do it or if we're too aggressive or whatever it is, but in my experience, no one's ever hated me after. In fact, it's been actually the opposite. I've become intriguing to them. Now, when I used to work at, at Baylor, kind of in the secular world, uh, I, I remember I, I would share the, just about Jesus and going to church and different stuff like that with different people, and all of a sudden I became like this anomaly to people. And they would ask me questions about Jesus because I became like the representative Christian in the office. And and honestly, it was kind of cool. People would get my take and questions and all these different things. And so instead of people hating me, I became intriguing to them because they knew me and they liked me. And all of a sudden they found this part of my life and they're, oh, they started making connections to that. I'm going to tell you something that blew me away this week. And when you hear it, I hope it blows you away. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. This is what we go around believing. There's so few of us 
and no one's going to believe. No one out there, all the Christians who are going to be Christians are already Christians. Jesus believes the opposite. Jesus says that there are always more people willing to receive Jesus than there are willing to share Jesus. He says that's always the case. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. He said no one's going to believe. Guess what? You believed. You believed. Are you not a rational, educated, put-together person? You believed. Other people will believe. So we got to get out of this mindset that if I'm open about Jesus, I'm going to be rejected by everyone because it's just not the case. Myth number three. This is a big one for a lot of us. We need to know everything in order to share our faith. Right? This keeps a lot of Christians from sharing the gospel. I, they're going to ask me a question? I don't know. Right? They're going to ask me a really hard question. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the myth is that we need to know everything in order to make a difference for Jesus or to share Jesus with other people. But the reality is, Jesus says you don't need to know everything. You just need to share what you do know. He doesn't command you to share what you don't know. Don't share what you don't know. Say, I don't know. Share what you do know. I promise you that you know more about Jesus than the person you're talking to. And this is how I know why. Because I talk to people all the time, and they say things like, oh, well, God hates people who are blank. Right, you hear that sometimes? God hates people who are blank. And when I hear someone say that, I know that I know more about God than they do. Because I look in the scriptures and I see God loves the world. He calls us out of sin. He calls us into new life. But it doesn't change the fact that he loves us. So I guarantee you that you know more about Jesus than the person that you're talking to. And I don't know is an acceptable answer. Man, we live in this culture where, like, on social media, everyone's posturing like they know more than they actually do. Right, man? I think it's so funny. I used to comment a lot more about politics and different stuff. Like, I think it's so funny when I'm at home on the couch on my phone sharing a post or, like, talking about complex geopolitical issues of which I know nothing about. Right? Can we just be honest, man? We're like, Oh, we need to do this in the Ukraine. I have no idea what we should do in the Ukraine. I'm not that skilled. I don't have enough information. And so everyone's posturing like they know more than they actually do. And I think if we just say, yeah, I don't know. There's some mystery in the faith. I don't know that answer. It's really refreshing to people, I think, because it shows we're not posturing. We're being honest. You don't need a public speaking course to share the hope you have in Jesus. You don't need to go to seminary. All you need to do is just speak from the heart because that's where the power is. Let me give you an example. <laughs> you know who Alice Cooper is? You want to know who Alice? Raise your hand. You know who Alice Cooper is? Who doesn't know who Alice Cooper is? Okay. Okay. Just a couple of people. I thought maybe our teenagers wouldn't know him, but Alice Cooper is kind of the godfather of shock rock. So he's done some crazy crazy, terrifying stuff, like, on stage. He's kind of a shock rocker and kind of metal band kind of guy. Not really my vibe of music, but if he's your vibe, then go for it. Do you know that guy became a Christian? Do you know that? 
And we were talking about Kanye a lot recently, but uh, Alice Cooper's been a Christian since I think about 2006 or so. He's a guy who ran far from God in his early life. He chased money, sex, and fame, and he admits that, that that's what his lifestyle was. And he was hardcore addicted to cocaine, and man, he was on a downward spiral. And he met Jesus, and it changed his life. And I want you to imagine, like, you're Alice Cooper, which is kind of a stage name. He has another name, and his band is called Alice Cooper, I think. But anyway, he, he, imagine you're him, and you're rolling with, like, the rocks, rock star God crowd, different bands and groupies, all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, you become a Christian, and your life changes, but none of the people around you have changed. Imagine that. So what Alice Cooper said. I want to read a quote from him. And uh, I think I have his, there you go, that's his picture right there. He's an interesting guy. (laughs) He says, when people say, how do you believe this? How do you believe Christianity? Why do you believe it? I just say nothing else speaks to my heart. It doesn't speak to my intellect. It doesn't speak to my logic. It speaks right to my heart and my soul deeper than anything I've ever thought of. And I totally believe it. I'm not a very good Christian. In fact, none of us are ever good Christians, but that's not the point. Jesus is. So really the question isn't, can you answer every question someone might throw at you? The real question is, how has Jesus changed you? Why do you believe it? That's the most powerful apologetic that we have. And I love my spouse so much because of Jesus. And I'm generous toward others because Jesus. Jesus helped me overcome this thing in my life. You can't argue that. That is real. How do we do this? Very quickly, how do we do this here this morning? Um, Because this is the challenging part. Um, I believe that we do this by taking one step forward together. Right, this isn't you by yourself. This isn't me by myself. The command to make disciples is given to the church as a whole. And so the way that we're going to do this is we're going to take one step forward together this week. And I'm going to give you three options. And I invite you, challenge you through the Holy Spirit to discern which of these three God is calling you to step out into this week. Number one. Pray for someone every day this week. Pray for an unchurched friend, someone that you know is far from God, doesn't have a relationship with God, or is really struggling, and pray for them every day this week. And that's going to do two things. Number one, it's going to remind you that Jesus said, I am with you always, and so we don't make disciples alone. We actually make disciples in partnership with God. And secondly, it's going to begin to shape your heart, to begin to put on your heart the most important things, which is other people. And the other day, I was was praying this prayer, actually. I was like, praying, God, I I don't have a lot of non-Christian friends, and, you know, I've been a pastor for a while now, and I have fewer and fewer Christian friends, and so, or non-Christian friends, and so I was just praying, God, like, Show me how can I do this. Just put someone on my mind that I might be able to, to make a difference in their life or be able to share with them. And, and, and it's funny how God immediately brought someone up. 
And when I say pray for one person, I'm sure even in your mind, you probably already have that person. It's funny how that works when you begin to think about it. And so God brought that person up, and uh, he's a, a high school friend that I've had, and we connect with each other every once in a while. And so God actually put him uh, on my heart. And so I was praying for him, and I wasn't just praying, God, I just pray that you open the heavens, that he would believe in Jesus. I was praying legitimately that he would have a good week at work. I was praying whatever's going on in his life, that he would uh, be at peace and that God would take care of him and different things like that. And, and after I prayed, I got like a surge of boldness. And uh, I got my phone out and I, I just texted him. And I said, hey man, it's been a while. Do you want to get lunch? And it turns out he's actually in Vietnam right now. And <laughs> that was kind of funny. He's in Vietnam. So I was like, say travels. Um, but when he comes back, we're getting lunch. And I have no idea what's going to happen when we get lunch. I have no idea. But the door is open, and I'm going to get lunch with him. But if I had not prayed, God wouldn't have not brought that person to my mind, and I wouldn't have had the boldness to step out and say, hey, man, it's been a while. Let's connect. Let's see what's going on in your life. Number one, pray for someone every day this week. Write that person's name on the fridge, on your vanity, by your nightstand. Don't pray just just for your needs, but pray for that person. Number two, invite someone to lunch or coffee and get beyond small talk. Man, we are drowning in small talk. And I don't just say that as an introvert. I just say that as a Christian. We are drowning in small talk. The weather and sports and all all these different things. And we never get to the true and important things in life with people who aren't just like us. Invite someone to lunch or coffee and get beyond the small talk. I know we're busy, but you eat 21 meals a week. Unless you're like me and you forget a couple of meals. But you eat 21 meals a week. Do what you're already doing, but do it with someone. In fact, I was reading one commentator say that, man, meals were in fact Jesus' missional strategy. And I started going through the book of Luke, and this commentator was pointing out that every instance of Jesus making disciples is Jesus either coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal. Go in the book of Luke and go look it up. Meals are central to the book of Luke. It's like food is God's love language or something like that. I don't know. But that's how Jesus did it. He got across the table from someone. And I think in our context, it means getting off of social media Getting across the table from someone, turning off our phone, putting it upside down and saying, man, what's going on in your life? What's up with you? Let's talk about you for a while. And that opens up doors that we wouldn't have if we didn't get across the meal from, or the table from other people. Hospitality, I think, is going to be the apologetic of the 21st century being generous, spending time with people is going to be how we're going to make a difference in other people's lives. Trust me, it is countercultural to get a meal or to get coffee with someone who doesn't share maybe your Christian faith or who isn't just like you. And this is why. When you go on Facebook and you look at your suggested friends, I would imagine the top 20 are people that are either family or that you know from church, Right? The top 20, because that's what algorithms do. Algorithms push you toward people who are just like you. But the gospel pushes us toward people who don't think just like us. The gospel defies the algorithm. 
I mean, I used to do this at Baylor when I could. We would get Starbucks all the time, probably more often than I should have. But man, I just, hey man, you want to go get Starbucks? And we would just talk along the way as we went. And yeah, I'd share I was a Christian and that I went to church and different stuff like that. I'd just get into just spiritual conversations. And it's amazing what God will do in those conversations. Number three, invite someone to church. Sometimes when we go one-on-one with someone, it feels kind of like your word against my word, and we get kind of in a debate or something like that. But inviting someone to church helps them to come see what's happening here. Come see. There's a different kind of community. And we've made cards specifically designed for that. Uh, You should find one near you. This is an invite card. You don't have to make it a big thing. It's just, hey, man. I just want to invite you to church. This is a church I go to. You don't have to come, but I'd love to, to have you with us one Sunday. Here you go. That took five seconds. <laughs> Inviting someone to church helps them to come see that there is a different kind of community. Let me give you a little insight. I'm going to pop the hood on kind of our strategy right now as a church. So we made the decision in this season to do two services. And that's been a lot of work for all of us, for the volunteers, for the staff, uh, for our band especially. It's been a lot of work. And you know what we could do? We could decide that in this season we're going to do one big service and we're going to have, just we're going to pack this place out. It's going to be one big family. We're going to be jamming. We're going to be worshiping Jesus as one big family. What's the problem with that? There's no room for anyone else. We could be one big family. I like to see my friends on Sunday morning. I love that. We're we're just one family worshiping together. Jesus left the family to go get the one. So we made a decision in this season to go to two services because we wanted to make room for people. We love half-empty rooms because I look at these seats and I think, man, that's, that's reserved for your coworkers. That's reserved for your friends. That's reserved for your family. We made room for them. We want them to be a part of our family. We want to have an invitation culture. That doesn't happen until they're invited. It doesn't happen until we step out in faith and invite them in the same way that someone else came and invited us. As we draw to a close this morning, um, I really debated about Uh, whether or not I was going to kind of share this story, and I literally have in my notes, it says, discern by the Holy Spirit whether or not you want to share this story. And so that's just a preface uh, for you guys, and uh, I I feel like I want to share it right now, but I do want to preface it and say that I'm not trying to guilt you into anything this morning. And if you feel conviction, awesome. I hope that's the Holy Spirit leading you in love toward other people, but this is not a if you don't do this, you're guilty kind of story or kind of sermon. But I do want to share this because it makes a difference. Um, in high school, um, I was friends with this guy who uh, was one of the most interesting dudes I've ever met. I don't know if you ever had a friend who like, just loved to talk about random stuff. Like One day, I remember we were talking about it was like government conspiracies, like they're, put, they're like contaminating our water with some sort of like thing that hypnotizes us or something like that. And so he was like talking about that one time. And then there was this other time he was talking about like 
it's like secret government that like China and America had, or I don't know what it was, but he loved to talk about stuff like that. And so he was just a really interesting guy. And uh, he, he had come from like a Buddhist background, and, uh, but he was kind of new agey. He kind of had a lot of different beliefs. And we had kind of talked about Jesus before, but not really in any serious capacity. And I remember we, we remained friends kind of through college, and we both went to University of Houston. And uh, I remember, you know, we, we kind of talked to each other a little bit less and less, but, but one day we got lunch with each other and uh, just connecting. And uh, he had been struggling, going through kind of a, a hard season, just kind of in general. And, um, and I remember the Holy Spirit, I, I believe now, as I think about it, it probably was the Holy Spirit, just kind of tugging me forward, tugging me forward, you know, just saying, hey, just get serious. Just kind of get serious with him and, and see where he's at. And I didn't do it. You know, I, I, kind of the moment passed or whatever it was. Like, he had to get to class. And so we just kind of, kind of parted ways. And I didn't, you know, really see him too much after that because I graduated and, and um, you know, just didn't spend a lot of time with him. I think it was about like a year after that, um, got a text from a mutual friend, and he was like, hey, I'll let you know, John took his life today. I'm not a real like emotional guy. <laughs> Man, I, I was just crying in that moment. And I'm not saying I, I like, think about him every single day, but it, it does, like, he, he comes up about a few times a month. It'll just pop into my mind. I remember John. Remember John. And so I, I don't bring that up to, like, deflate the room or to just make us all feel bad about ourselves. I, I bring that up because it matters. I think about where John was at in that moment just kind of how, man, how much of a storm much had been going on in his mind for him to get to that place. You never know what's going on in someone's mind, the turmoil, the war that's going on in their soul as you're talking to them, unless you dive deep into it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. And we're always waiting for the perfect moment to do things. The perfect moment, the perfect moment. I, everything's got to be just right. The stars, the planets have to align for us to step out and, and be bold and to take a faith step. And I think with this passage here, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Like part of what it's saying is that fear waits for the moment. Love creates the moment. There are no perfect moments to step out in faith. There are only those moments in which we decide to do it. Fear sticks with what it knows. Love defies the algorithm. Fear needs acceptance, love risks rejection. Fear gives up, and love tries again and again and again and again and again and again. Millions of people are coming to Jesus 
every single year. That's not the question. The real question is, are those people our friends or someone else's friends? Our family or someone else's family? Our co-workers or someone else's co-workers? I just wonder if one potentially awkward conversation could lead to an eternally changed life, shouldn't we take those odds? Shouldn't we take those odds? Like I said, God loves us no matter what. But I want us to be about what God is about. God is about rescuing people out of the dark places of life and bringing them into his peace. Let's be about that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you are so good. You rescued each and every person in this room, Lord, who has had faith in you. We were prisoners of war in our own brokenness. And you kicked that door down and you brought us out of there and you brought us to a broad and spacious plain. Worry is outdated for us. Fear is no more. All there is is love. So Father, I pray that you would put a fire in us to be bold for your name. Not to be aggressive or jerks on your behalf, but to just be people who love and who simply say, hey, Jesus changed my life and I believe that he can change yours as well. God, we love you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying for us. And thank you for sending us. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.